to serve God as he thought fit, but his sons were unchecked by his father, and they began to eat evil things before the Lord, you know, stealing from the communion, no communion, but offering, not offering, sacrifices. Stealing from the meat of the sacrifices, stealing the, the, um, the, the meat that had um, the best part for the Jews, which was the grease, you know, the fat, sorry, not the grease, but the fat. You know, so, you know, after Christmas season, keep this in mind. As much as John 3.16 is an amazing verse, it's probably the best verse that we all know. After Christmas, a best verse, the best verse for us is actually Leviticus 3.16, which says, all the fat belongs to the Lord. So, no worries. <laughs> so, Eli is growing, but then Samuel comes up on the stage. And as Eli is actually descending in his uh, favor with the Lord, Samuel is increasing. But in those days, the nation was actually not seeking God. So at one time, because they saw the Philistines and others raising up in power, they said in chapter 8, we want a king like the other nations to lead us into war. Did they need a king to lead them into battle? God said, no, we don't need one because I'm here with you. But see, they required one and God gave them what they wanted. They gave them, God gave them Saul as a king. And Saul, although was tall and um, I guess, I don't know, probably handsome, I have no idea. He was not a very strong leader. For, uh, in this chapter, the 13th of, um, actually, previous chapter, the 13th of 1 Samuel, although he was called by God with a single purpose to defeat the Philistine, read the first uh, Samuel chapter 9, he was anointed to defeat the Philistines. He was now afraid and scared and hiding along with the other nation, the other part, the other people of the nation. And uh, Philistines were strong. Uh, they did not allow Israel's, uh, Israelites to have swords or uh, spears. Uh, in, in, they said, you, you are not allowed to have any metal weapons. That's how hard was the Philistine oppression over Israel. But the first point today is faith does not see the problem, but faith sees God. Saul and Israel, they, all they could see was, uh, was the problem, the issue at hand. Philistine was in the land, and uh, when Jonathan attacks them, he actually wins, and he defeats the Philistines. But the next day or next week or so, they gather uh, 30,000 soldiers, I think, and 6,000 chariots or whatever, large, large army to come against Israel, which only had like 3,000 soldiers gathered in, in 2,000 location, 2, location 1,000 other location. So Philistines were mighty and strong. And Israel gets scared. I did not bring my Bible with me. And that's bad. Anyway, it's probably over there. Thank you, honey. Sorry. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, never mind. First Samuel 14.6 says, Jonathan... Whoops, no, that's another one. I've... I'm looking for those verses in 1 Samuel 14 where they say that all the people were hiding and they were hiding in cellars, in pits, in uh, bushes, in whatever. And I have not written down that verse. Oh. Hey, trust me, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> Is it verse 6? Oh, 
Yeah, it's not that. It's, it's a verse where it says that all of them were hiding. 13.6. It, 13, six. Oh, okay, I wrote 14.6 and it wasn't fit. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. So that was the state of Israel. The people that had God as their leader, as their warrior, people that defeated, you know, they saw Egypt defeated, people that saw the mighty work of God in Canaan, in Joshua, now they're hiding in cellars and pits, just hiding in the basements, you know, under, anyway, no, I'm not saying. But Jonathan wouldn't take that. So he actually steps up, and he goes against them, and he says this. Uh, this is a very important verse, uh, 14.6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison on this uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work with us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. You know, when Israel got scared, the only thing that Jonathan saw was a bunch of uncircumcised Philistines. Why is that word important, uncircumcised? You know, what was circumcision? It was a sign of God's covenant with the people. Those who were circumcised, circumcised had God on their side. Those who did not, were not, did not have God on their side. It's the only thing that Jonathan saw. We go against those that do not have God with them. So, it, you know, God will actually Jonathan was convinced that God will actually go with him and lead him. And he seeks God's guidance. He says, perhaps the Lord will work with us, for the Lord is not restrained. That says, okay, and then uh, it says, verse, um, if they say, verse 9, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given, us, given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. He asked God for a sign. He stepped out, he went towards the garrison, and he asked God's guidance. He knew God could work. He did not go foolishly without asking God first, but he knew God could do it. So he said, Lord, give me a sign. And lo and behold, God gave him the same, the same sign he asked. The Philistine said, come to us. And at that point, he, uh, he went forth and he attacked them. Jonathan was able to not hide and not run away because he did not see the problem. He just saw a bunch of guys who did not have God on their side. He saw God, not the problem. The second um, thing for today is faith is not blind. Faith is based on God's promises, which Jonathan hopefully knew them. He knew, for example, that God has raised his father, Saul. God anointed his father, Saul, for the specific purpose to destroy the Philistine. First Samuel 9.16. That's why Saul was anointed. So he knew that God wanted the Philistine to be defeated. Although Saul was still hesitant and indecisive, his son chose differently. Because probably he remembered, for example, Gideon, Judges chapter 7. Gideon uh, had an army that was actually pretty large, but God said, no, you're too many. And step by step by step, God uh, took away from Gideon's army until, uh, if I remember correctly, 300 of them left. And they attacked a much, much greater enemy of the, uh, army of the enemy, 
and they won because God was with them. Numbers were not issue. This was whose side is God on? You know, uh, probably he remembered Exodus 23. Verses uh, 22 and 27 especially, but 22 sounds like this. I will be an enemy to your enemy. Verse 27 says, I will send my terror ahead to your enemies. Verse 22 is awesome. I will be an enemy to your enemies. Exodus 23, actually. You know, that's a promise. Deuteronomy 7, chapter, uh, verse 1, actually. God says, you will enter the land and you will meet Seven nations, greater and mightier, greater and stronger than you, but I will defeat them. And have you ever read Joshua 12? Remember Joshua 12 is an amazing chapter with just names after names after names after names after names. Really boring. Just names. One whole chapter. But what is amazing about that chapter? Every single name is a, I told you so. Ever told your kids, I told you so? I think I did a few times. You know, that's God saying, I told you I will defeat them. And he listed every single king that was defeated by, uh, by God through the army of Israel by saying, I told you I will be with you. Trust me. That chapter is amazing. Just in that I told you so chapter. You know? And this was or is actually for Jonathan a step of faith. You know, Hebrews uh, 11, 33, 34, which had them on the screen before, uh, it's about that thing of when you experience God's power in your life to do something you couldn't do by yourself. That's faith. When you defeat an enemy you couldn't do by yourself, that's faith. If you ask me, do you have faith to drive back to Newmarket? I guess. You know, I have gas, car is good, sunny, no snow, yeah. Last Sunday, though, <laughs> that was a step of faith. With all the snow and the uh, ice on the road, you know, just... Uh, anyway, a step of faith. Jonathan took it. You know, God does. God did win the battle for him. First Samuel fourteen twenty three, God says, God won the battle for Israel. First uh, Samuel fourteen fifteen it says... A panic of God was over the camp. Let's read this. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. And this one, uh, the last uh, great trembling, actually, in Hebrew says, there was a great panic of God over the camp. So the promise from Exodus 23, verse 22 and 27, actually became true. An enemy of Israel became God's enemy and God sent his terror over them. They just ran and they were, they were defeated. So faith, faith is, looking back and finding your notes, faith is seeing God and not a problem. Faith is knowing God's promises. Faith is not blind. Faith is based on knowing God's promises. And then the third thing, it's going to come up on the screen, faith moves others from fear to action. Faith inspires. Have you seen people of faith? Have you met people of faith? Have you read biographies of people of faith? Just reading or talking or just witnessing uh, the life of those that have faith inspires us. Most of our growth came because we saw people that were inspiration uh, unto us. And uh, faith is contagious. Faith opens roads. 
for those that, uh, you know, we're just, you know, like the old um, icebreakers back, you know, that you, used to be used to, uh, for the northern passages, but open roads for many merchant ships to come behind them. Faith opens roads. Faith is contagious. Faith leads to action. Verse 20 of chapter 14, Saul and all the people with him went to battle. Jonathan was the first. These guys were hiding. But when they saw Jonathan and his armor bearer fighting and winning, Saul went to war. The Hebrews who were with the Philistine previously, the Hebrews that were allies of the Philistines or were cap- whatever, they were in the Philistine camp, turned weapons against the, their former masters and went to war against them. Verse 21. The Hebrews that were hiding in caves, pits, and cellars, and basements, and whatever, they go to war again. Because Jonathan dared. Saul went to war. The Hebrews with the Philistines turned against him and went to war. Those who were hiding before that went to war. Faith moves others from fear to action. This guy, Jonathan, he knew God's promises. You know, all about knowing. He is a man of faith. He trusts God more than his own, his own sight, you know, about being a man of faith. And he acts on that trust, you know, just as in uh, The Rock's uh, mission statement about being and, uh, sorry, about knowing and being and doing. It's the base of our lives, you know. But let's make this a bit personal. When we say that faith does not see the problem but sees God, when we say that faith is based on God's promises and faith moves others from fear to action. When we see Jonathan, a guy who knows and has faith and acts, today, here in, in Woodstock, we're not fighting Philistines. You know? We're not fighting enemies that we need to be filled with swords and, and weapons and stuff. But we're still fighting the good fight of faith. You know, First Timothy 6.12 says that we are fighting good fight of faith. And... This is where I need to stop for a second and make a comment. Last Sunday, before we left, I was up in the uh, um, foyer with, uh, with Anna, and I saw the writing on the wall, the actual writing on that wall over there, that says, we exist to make disciples for Jesus Christ. You know, probably you walk by it every day, but because it was, for me, it was the first time I actually noticed it, it stood out for me. And actually, it just hit me and just stayed with me the whole week. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And it stayed with me because as I was studying what faith is, I realized that making disciples, it takes faith. And it takes action. You know, knowing and being and doing, all those things I want to see in a disciple, that takes a transformation that only God can bring about in a human person. And it takes faith. And it takes action. So all this talk about faith, how can we make it practical and apply it? Because just like Jonathan, by faith, I hope that we always see it's not the difficulty, but the opportunity. Uh, back at, uh, at uh, Grace Church, um, something funny happened the last uh, few months, up six months or so. People just came to me and said, uh, for example, Jerry, he's 75. He came to me one day and said, Adi, I want to know the Old Testament. Please teach me the Old Testament. So I'm meeting with him every Wednesday, and we study the Old Testament. And he asks me really tough questions, ethical questions from the, from the Old Testament. So it's not easy. Another guy, Mike, Mike Esty, former drug addict, uh, former, um, um, I mean, he served time. He did a bunch of bad stuff. But 
he came to grace and he was touched by God and he called me and said, Adi, I want to know God. Meet with me. Spend time with me. You know, Dana, uh, African-American from, uh, from Newmarket, again, uh, 60, you know, it's 57 year old. He came to me and said, I need support. I need people to encourage me. I need people that can lead me to Christ and to know more of Christ. So I'm meeting with him every Thursday. <laughs> uh, Justin, kid, grade nine, I think, uh, came to me and said, how can I, how can I be a, a witness in a Catholic high school as a Christian? Teach me how can, you, how can I you know, shine in this environment? Michael, he's grade 10 or 11, I'm not sure exactly, uh, came to me and said, how can I be a Christian when I'm bullied? How can I answer in a Christian way when I'm bullied? Samantha, she's uh, 15, I think, um, autistic kid. I'm learning now, how can you preach the gospel to an autistic kid that's 15 and it's only 40%, um, uh, can only communicate 40%. You know? All these things, all this is discipleship. They're not difficulties. Whether I'm teaching Jerry, who's 75, Old Testament, or I'm teaching Samantha, who's 15 and autistic, I'm teaching her uh, the gospel, those are not difficulties. Although it makes me study like crazy. <laughs> and from all over the place, I mean, I'm studying history and social uh, stories and uh, a bunch of stuff. You know, it's not, although it's, it's a, I would say, it's a lot of volume of work. It's amazing. It's my joy to actually invest time in people and make disciples. It's not easy. It's so much worth it. And our faith, my faith, should focus not on what stands against me. You know, I have all these meetings every single day. Every single day of the week, I need to meet with people and, and read and study and speak with them and drink lots of coffee and all that. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's an honor to invest time and make disciples. And by faith, I'm going to keep on doing it. You know, as long as, as long as I have strength in my body, I'm going to continue to invest in those who God brought my way. Whether it's, you know, Jerry, 75, or Samantha, 15, it doesn't matter. Uh, by faith, I'm going on, and I'm not seeing this as a difficulty. I'm seeing, it, I'm seeing this as an opportunity. Like Jonathan, remember God's call and God's promise to us. Faith is not blind. Faith is based on God's promises. What greater promise than Matthew 28, or call and promise? The call is what? Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20. Go and make disciples. Make disciples. That's a, that's a commandment. Make disciples. And what's the promise? I will be with you until the end of time. That's the promise. We don't go ahead doing stuff in our own strength. We go because God is with us and we have a mission from him. We have a, call, a calling from him. And the promise is, yes, he will be with us. The promise is not every day shall be a nice, easy day. Nope. In the world, you will have tribulations. Uh, it's a 2.12. I'm not sure if it's Titus 2.12 or... It's probably Titus 12. Those who want to live a life of godliness shall be persecuted. Probably you will correct me quickly. Whoever wants to Google it. Uh, Those who choose to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. So life will not be easy. But we have a call. We have a promise. And we can move on. Even though some days will be tough. And in those days, we just need to remember God's promise and God's call to us, and by faith, to the third thing, which is act. Like Jonathan, we choose to act even though multitudes may be hiding in caves and pits and cellars. And I keep saying basements because it's you know the thing. I, I lived in a basement for what, five months. You know, 
not my mom's basement, uh, that was really wet and moldy, but uh, actually there was like this much water. I'm kidding you not. It's like, anyway. <sighs> People around us don't really want to make disciples. Let's be honest. It's the church's call. It's the church's, it's, it's the church's mission. But you know what? So many people choose to do so little. Investing in someone's life does require sacrifice of time, of energy, sometimes money. I don't know. And sacrifice is not enticing. Sacrifice doesn't fit our schedules. You know, it's, it just doesn't. And that's why so many choose to do so little. But like Jonathan, I choose to act, to move and to invest my life in, in what matters most. Because making disciples, again, it's not about the theory. It's not about the Wednesday night Bible study when you read half an hour and we pray 20 minutes and you, you know, eat donuts for another half an hour and then you go home. It's not about that. It's about living life together. It's about sharing the good and the bad together. It's about making choices and learning together about the, every single aspect of our lives. And I was blessed. This is not even my notes. My second pastor... Back in Romania, Daniel is his name. Um, he adopted me, if you want. You know, my um, he was not the best teacher ever. I mean, he was meh as a teacher, but his heart was such an amazing heart. If I know anything about shepherding and loving people in the church, a lot of it comes from his, uh, from him, and from his wife, Daniel and Dana. Uh, they they changed my perspective of what shepherding or pastoring means because they called me in their home. We, they cooked and I peeled potatoes and we just chatted about the Bible and about uh, football and about, I mean, soccer, the real football. And, uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean that. I mean, say that. I apologize. I, I am European. You know, it's about living life together. And yes, it's costly. It takes, you know, it takes investment. It takes to uh, open up your home and, and give up your your. your me time. And it's not always easy because we have works and jobs and, and stuff and sometimes we just want our me time. But that's selfish sometimes. Yeah, we need to recharge, we need to rest, we need to get uh, energy, but it's not about us. It's not about our comfort or our vacations or our cottages. It's about what does God want from us? Because when God said, okay, I have to say this, make this up, it's not about the theory. Uh, you may have watched a video by uh, Francis Chan, uh, if you know the guy, U.S. Um, American pastor. has a short video on YouTube uh, about um, wh- how not to make disciples. I meant to put it on the screen, but I didn't do it. I have no idea how to put a PowerPoint, or I mean a video on a PowerPoint. Uh, I should learn from somebody. He says this, if I tell my kid, my daughter, um, my daughter is Emma, Emma, go clean your room. Then I go to work, and I come back, you know, after, after work, and I said, Emma, have you cleaned your room? And he says, Dad, I loved your commandment. I memorized your commandment. I can tell how to clean up my room in Greek. I actually called a few friends of mine, and we actually had a Bible study about what does it mean to actually clean up your room, and we, we read that, and everybody has learned your commandment. I asked, but have you cleaned your room? No, but I know your commandment, you know? It's not about knowing it or studying or learning, you know, the Greek and the depth of the grammar. It, although that is important. I love that. But it's about doing it. And because when God says, go, make disciples, he says, you, he says, me. And I, would, I wish I would knew your names to say, to just use your name. I know, Dan. 
No. Am I saying that? Okay, yes. <laughs> he said, there is something called diffused responsibility. Um, I grew up in a communist country. And uh, um, diffused, uh, that was diffused ownership, actually, back in Romania. When everybody owned everything, which meant no one owned nothing. You know, and no one was, I mean, everybody's responsible for everything, which meant no one was responsible for nothing. Okay? In a church, when you say the church must do, must make disciples, there's this socio psychological thingy that says when the group is supposed to do something, everybody thinks somebody else will do it. It's called diffused responsibility. And sometimes we think God has called the church to make disciples. Therefore, my pastor, my elders, my deacons, my whatever, they will make disciples for sure. I'm going to applaud them. I'm going to tithe for that, but let them do it because it's their call. They're paid for that. Nope. When God says, go make disciples, he meant every single one of you, no matter the age or gender or whatever, every single person is called to make disciples. Jonathan's mission. They had him look up in faith was defeat the Philistines. And he did it. My mission, and your mission too, that has me look up in faith and ask God's help is make disciples. And not by teaching some theory in a risk-free environment, but actually living it out, stepping in faith, being a role model to those around me, investing time in building relationships, in teaching, in rebuking, in loving. Yes, rebuking. That's part of discipleship. It's not Canadian. It's against our culture, but it is part of making a disciple. To say to someone, you're wrong. Say it nicely, Canadian way, but say it. <laughs> only, my, only if I do this, when I, my life is spent, is left, is, say, is invested in somebody else's life, when I live to give out what God has given me, when I can say, like Paul, through faith, imitate me, for I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Well, it's better in translation. Walk into my footsteps because I walk in the footsteps of Christ. Or follow me because I follow Christ. Whatever your translation says. That can be said in faith. And that is to make disciples. And that requires us to actually see God. Not the issues, not the problems. That requires that we know and trust God's promises. And that, that does actually require for us to step out in faith. I think this is the last slide. Maybe I should be on the screen. Make disciples is why we exist. It takes faith. It takes action. And the call is, look up in faith and just do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that on the promise you gave us, 